the, the alphabet series, A, B, C, D, and so forth, we're down to letter E, and that's going to be evangelism. And what better uh, topic for the letter E, when you think about it, than evangelism. And I want you to turn to Romans chapter 10. <clears throat> you know, uh, I hope that you have used this chapter in your own personal evangelism or witnessing at one time or another. As a matter of fact, uh, when I say the Romans road, you all know what I mean? You know, I'm sure you do because all of our lives we have, we have heard that and rightfully so. I mean, the book of Romans is a book written about our salvation and it takes us from A to Z. It takes us from the beginning, from sin to our salvation, how we receive Christ as Savior, what it is we have to believe. And so we have, uh, especially in verses 9 and 10, kind of uh, Paul's conclusion to all of that, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. As I always point out, he has argued all along who Jesus is and what Jesus did. If there are two facts that a lost person has to be able to accept in order to be saved, it is the person and work of Jesus Christ. You, you can't believe that he's an angel, uh, as, maybe, as our Jehovah's Witness friends do, uh, or that he was a man who finally became a god, as our Mormon friends do, uh, or, uh, or any other thing less than God himself. Plus, we have to believe that he was sinless, that he died on a cross for us, because, and being sinless was made acceptable to God, and then God raised him from the dead because he was the perfect sacrifice and acceptable to God. And so the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ has to be believed. If that did not happen, we certainly don't have salvation. So... We have fought for this faith all through the years, and we share that, by the way, with, with other denominations and other uh, parts of Christianity where we might disagree in other areas with them. We might disagree over baptism, and yet uh, someone believes the gospel and is saved, you don't, have to, you don't have to be baptized properly in order to be saved. But we can disagree with them over that and disagree with them to the point that we have our own church and they have their church, <laughs> you know. We'll practice our way and they'll practice their way. That doesn't mean they're not brethren if they accept the gospel. Um, so the, the gospel boils down to this statement as is made in verse 9, as Paul will make it in oft, often in many of his, uh, many of his letters. So verse 10, with the heart, man believeth unto righteousness. Now, I'm going to speak a lot today, even in the next hour's message, about the faith of the gospel. We have a gospel, it's good news, about who Jesus is and what he did, but it has to be accepted by faith. So you don't come into it by a work, like baptism, if you, if you believed, uh, like our Church of Christ friends might believe you have to come into salvation 
with an act of baptism, we would say, no, it's by faith. You believe it. You don't perform something to do it, or church membership, or like cults would do, or whatever. With the heart man believeth unto righteousness. And with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. We understand that means, too, that whatever the heart has believed, the mouth will confess. It's not that there's a magic formula, and if you say this formula, then you'll get saved. But we understand that even when a person is confessing his faith in Christ, if you lead someone to Christ and say, ask the Lord to save you, and that person prays maybe even out loud, and ask the Lord to save them, it's not the words of the prayer that form some magic abracadabra, but in that heart, there is belief under righteousness, and the mouth is confessing that. So can a person do that without praying out loud? Well, of course, uh, and many people have. But if a person truly accepts Christ by faith, somewhere, somehow, in that life, that confession is going to come out, and it's going to be there. <clears throat> so whoso, verse 11 simply says it this way, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed, taking the key from Isaiah there, whosoever believeth will not be ashamed, not believeth and is baptized, not believeth and works, but whoever believes. That's why, by the way, we are called in the broader sense evangelicals, and, and we do divide our, you know, Christendom up, in, it's a big watershed, that is, are you saved by faith alone? in what we understand about Christ, or are you saved by faith plus what the church may have or ask you to do? For example, Catholicism will say faith is fine, but it must be, it must be with the acts of uh, the church, with, with the sacraments of the church. So you do your part, the church does its part. You add faith, the church adds grace, and so forth. No, we say not. Uh, so we don't count our Roman Catholic friends. No, I, I still count, I, I call them friends, but not necessarily brethren, uh, unless they accept Christ by faith alone. Remember the Reformation, uh, uh, sola fiducia, that is faith only, uh, sola scriptura, scripture only. Uh, so that was their cry against the Roman church. No, it's not faith and works. It's faith alone. And this is what Paul says in verse 11. Now, there's no difference between the Jew and the Greek. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, I've said often, and it's worth saying here again, in this lesson on evangelism, that then our gospel, the thing that we believe, is both broad and narrow. It's broad in that these statements say, whosoever, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. So uh, we, we believe that it's our obligation then 
to take this gospel to everyone in the world because Christ died for everyone, because whoever calls will be saved. Uh, and so even though a person is in another religion, we don't just stand back and say, well, whatever religion you want to believe is fine. We say, no, the gospel is for every person, and, and it must come. But then also the gospel is narrow. It's, not, it's broad in that it's for everyone, but it's narrow in that uh, it says, whosoever shall call upon your religion, <laughs> you know, no. The, the thoughts of your heart, no. Call on the Lord shall be saved. And so the Lord who was God in the flesh, the Lord who died and rose again for you, that Lord. Uh, there is one name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So we go into all the world preaching the gospel to every creature, but we specifically say, uh, you must call upon the name of the Lord, Jesus Christ, in order to be saved. So we make friends and enemies <laughs> wherever we go because of that. Uh, and yet this is our evangelism. Some think, uh, or, or, or don't think, I should say, that the gospel is universal. Maybe it's just an American gospel. You know, maybe this is just for Western people. If you're an Easterner or a Middle Easterner or Jewish or Muslim, then they have their religion, you have yours. I always remember my trip to Israel, only one time, it was in 1980, the only time I was able to be there. But how interesting it was that uh, all of the little Jewish guides that took us around and showed us everything, to, to them... There, the world was divided into three big sections, you know. There's Jewish, there's Christian, and there's Muslim. Everybody in the world is under that. So even if you talk about your faith, to, oh, that's Christianity block, you know, big, that's Christianity. This is Jewish, you know. Uh, <clears throat> so some people kind of categorize the world like that or... Or even they might say, you know, well, you know, it's fine for you to be a Christian. I'm Buddhist or I am Taoism or I am something, you know, and, and yours is fine and mine is fine. Uh, it, multiculturalism has foisted that upon us in our generation to where if we don't think that way, we're narrow and bigoted, you know. If we kind of think that we have the only way to heaven, how terrible is that for a human being to say to another human being? Well, what we might agree with there is every human being has to decide for themselves. That's where they also misunderstand us, isn't it? Because they will say, don't force your religion upon me. And we as Christians say forcing, we, we would never force it because you can't force faith on someone. There's no way to do it unless maybe you have a works-type salvation like, you know, Catholicism through the centuries, unfortunately, went through times when they felt like they could force their faith on you uh, and, and make sure you did it or you were in trouble. Uh, the Church of England did the same thing, and other churches have done the same thing. So, so we, uh, we know that everybody has has an obligation to think for themselves and to believe for themselves, and you can't do it for them, and neither should you, because if you, if you forced a person into a confession of faith, it's not faith. They're just, actually, it's legalism because you've told them what they must do, and now they're doing it because you told them. <laughs> 
So we know that also. But some people uh, don't think that the gospel is uh, exclusive either. Uh, You know, any religion will do and so forth. Now, God has spoken about these things, and that's why we have the Bible. That's why we have uh, the book of Romans. And we then also, in our evangelism, have this foundation. And the foundation is God has told us how to get to heaven. He's told us what we must do. Because after all, people would look at us and say, well, how come you say yours is the only way and they say theirs is the only way? They're human beings, you're human beings. Matter of fact, they're pretty smart people, you're pretty smart people. So who's to say you're right and they're wrong? And our answer has to be, we have shown that the scripture is God's word and only God's word. And God revealed himself as we, when we, back to our B lesson on the Bible, he revealed himself in various ways and in various times in the Old Testament. He revealed himself by becoming a human being. And then he's revealed himself by writing down what he wants us to know. Now, for 2,000 years since this Bible has been completed, the world has attacked it, tried to destroy it. And why? Because this Bible will conclude there's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ and through faith in Jesus Christ. And that is a message the world just doesn't want to hear, so, so they, they have attacked it. But the Bible still stands, and it will, of course, until Jesus comes and we're in eternity. So... We understand, we understand this, too, that this is what the Bible says, and we, we hold to it. <coughs> you know, when we have Bible conferences and we have different emphasis uh, like we've had, we just had one on God speaks through word and world. You know, he speaks through his written word. He also speaks generally through the world about himself. The heavens declare the glory of God. But I think sometime, too, we need to spend a concentrated week on what this scripture is, why we have it, and why it is God's word and nothing else is God's word. And and we need to be very grounded in that. I just finished reading a book by a scholarly friend of mine, uh, Dr. Paul Hartog, who, who teaches up at the seminary in Iowa. And uh, it'll be in this next week's Aletheia, the, the review of it. But... Uh, he and a few other contributors to this have gone deeply into uh, the material that's been there for 2,000 years where people are now saying, well, how about the Gospel of Thomas? And how about these other apocryphal books? Aren't they just as good as the Bible books? And, and, uh, and a, a liberal called, named Walter Bauer who lived about 100 years ago came up with a theory, and, and now in our generation, everybody loves this theory. And the theory was that in the first century, and even into the second century, there were many Christianities. There were all kinds of versions of Christianity. And the one that we now believe and call Christianity and, and call orthodoxy in the first century was actually heresy. So that the Gnostics were right and we were wrong. And uh, 
the Roman church kind of solidified what we call Christianity, foisted it upon the rest of the world, and called everything else heresy. And so now we've had this, uh, this trick-or-treat played on people for 2,000 years that what we believe is Christianity actually was just a minority of beliefs in the first century. And those other gospels and those other writings and those other cults and all are really the true Christianity. Do you know that liberalism came up with that idea 100 years ago? People eat it up today. I think I, I told you maybe not long ago that a, a man that I really like who, who comes and works uh, on a particular thing in my house, a serviceman, I really like him, and we talk a lot. And he talks like a Christian, and I, I think he is, but, but the last time we talked, he had, he had been reading, I think it was, the Gospel of Thomas. And he told me how encouraged and how God spoke to his heart through this Gospel. Have you ever read it? And then he asked me if I had read something else that was from a Gnostic background and from all these cults. And I thought, how? and I kept saying to him, you need to come back to the scripture. You need to come back to what God has said and anchor. Oh, I do. Yeah, I believe the Bible, you know, but the Bible plus everything else. The, the service man that comes and works in your house, affected by this stuff. So, so this is widespread. When we say postmodernism, you may not like that term, but boy, what an apt term that has been. And in that book I just finished reading, one author called it post-postmodernism. <laughs> I mean, we're even beyond that thinking into more dangerous thinking. So it's out there. All right, so point being, we have, to, we, we have this Bible and we have to understand it. Now, I want to do these three things from this text in, in Romans 10 just to, uh, again, refresh our thinking about evangelism. First of all, in verse 14, there is a logical necessity... Then secondly, there will be a practical necessity, and thirdly, a spiritual necessity for our evangelism. If we begin in verse 14, we've already read 9 through 13, which tell us what the gospel is, okay, and how to receive it. So I'm not necessarily, this lesson isn't necessarily on what the gospel is. Maybe when we get to G, we'll do that. But here it's on how, how do we tell about it? How do we deliver it? What, what is necessary for us to, to practice this thing called evangelism? And so there's a logical necessity in verse 14. As a matter of fact, you know what a syllogism is, don't you? Uh, it's when your kids act silly in the gym. No. A syllogism is a, is a logical progression. You know, since A is true and B is true, therefore C must be true. That's kind of a syllogism in logic. And, and in books on logic or, or things that I've read on it, if there's a biblical reference that, that people like that point to, it's Romans 10, 14. Because Paul does that a syllogism here. And you remember these words? How, how one thought links to the other, one thought is dependent upon the other. Verse 13 had said, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? They don't, you don't call on someone that you don't believe that this is someone worthy of calling on. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? Well, if you've never heard of him, 
you can't believe him. And how shall they believe without someone telling them, without a preacher? So one is necessary for the other. Now, we would probably put that in reverse order from the way Paul did it and start with the hearing about it. So you, you remember that from time to time I've used these three Latin words because this, I don't know Latin, so you know I'm not son of an Italian or Italian myself, but, but notitia, ascensus, and fiducia. Remember those three words? Notitia, we get our word note or information or knowledge from. Notitia is knowledge. Ascensus means I give assent to that knowledge. I believe in that knowledge. And fiducia is faithful. You know, the, the Marines say uh, semper fi, always faithful. So fiducia means I have faith in that. So I have a gospel track out here in our track rack that I wrote years ago that kind of follows that same order. And this is what Paul is doing here. But Paul starts with the believing end of it and works back to the hearing end of it. If we started with the hearing, it would be like this. There are people in the world who need Jesus Christ as Savior, and if they die without him, they die lost and can only spend eternity in hell, not in heaven. And so what is their need? They need to hear the gospel. They cannot be saved without hearing it. How can they believe and whom they have not heard. And so we sit here and say, we have to send missionaries. We have to go. We have to tell them. We've even kind of assumed that in our country, surely our neighbors heard the gospel. Surely people in America have heard the gospel. Now we're beginning to think, I don't know if they have or not. Didn't seem like they have. And not only that, the world is more and more coming to us into this country. And they haven't heard the gospel. So, so the, when Jesus, you know, gives the great commission, the first command is go. You have to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So if, a per, if they don't hear it, they're not going to be saved. But you know what? There, there, there have been those that said, that's too hard. We'll never do it. As a matter of fact, people are dying faster than we can get to them. And it, it's not even fair of God to think that everybody in the world has to hear the gospel or they die lost. What kind of a God would, would say that? So we've come up with various ways to solve that problem. One is, well, I'll tell you what, if God knows the intent of their heart, and, and may I say, since this is just a Sunday school lesson, Billy Graham, bless his heart, who has preached the gospel all of his life and kept himself morally and financially clean, for which I'm thankful, made this unfortunate statement along with others that, he listens to, that if a person is sincere in their religion over there, God knows that if they had heard the gospel, they would have believed it. And so he saves them based on their sincerity. Now, you have, you, you have things like that kind of coming out from people, or you have universalism, you know, and that is, well, People may die lost and may have to be, maybe have to go to a place like purgatory for a while. And God punishes them for a while. But then they all kind of work out of it and eventually everybody gets saved in the end. You know, there's purgatory type views. <coughs> 
or <laughs> you know uh, not long ago 10 15 years ago or so uh, when we came up with this idea that uh, we should as evangelicals include Roman Catholics as born again people after all look at all of the Roman Catholics that are in the world and some people might include Jewish belie uh, believers that is not Jewish believers in Christ but but Jews as believers because we talk about the Bible, we talk about Jesus Christ. Catholics believe, you know, in their, what they do about Christ. And so there were many people, this was called evangelicals and Catholics together. Rick Warren was a big pusher of this and this kind of thing. And so what we ought to do is just with one fell swoop, with this document called Evangelicals and Catholics Together, just count all Catholics as brethren, as saved, and quit trying to evangelize them. So most of South America, where we send missionaries, where we have a missionary, is all Roman Catholic, right? And maybe we should add to that Russian Orthodox and Eastern Orthodox and all of that. Just call them all Christians since they all talk about the same Bible and the same Christ and so forth, the same God. And you know what? Just think. By writing that down on paper and voting that we should do it, we've made all the world Christian. Just how, what a great act of evangelism that was, right? Here we spent 2,000 years trying to evangelize these people all over the world when we should have in the beginning just said, we're going to count them all as Christians and we don't have to evangelize them because we're going to count them all as saved now. No, they have to hear. They have to hear the gospel. They have to be saved. Secondly, when you hear it, you have to believe it. You have to give assent to it. Now, we understand that in the Bible, sometimes the word believe can be used of a person's actions, but it's not that they're accepting the gospel. I've said that many times and given you examples of it. Simon the sorcerer in Acts chapter 8, he, he believed, and he, even he went through baptism. And later, Peter points out that, that uh, he doesn't have this faith in him at all. In John chapter 2, at the end of the chapter, many people believed in Jesus when they saw the miracles. They came to Jerusalem to see the miracles, but it says Jesus didn't believe in them. <laughs> so in this sense, you and I would call belief a head knowledge, right? And that's the way we've always kind of described it. But you do have to have a head knowledge, <laughs> You can't say, well, I don't believe that Jesus was God. I don't believe that he rose from the dead. No, you have to have a head knowledge about verse, about verse 9. He was God in the flesh and he rose from the dead. So there's a head knowledge to it. But that's not all there is, is it? And you remember somebody saying, you know, a lot of people have missed heaven by, what is it, 14 inches between your brain and your, and your heart? Uh, maybe two miles to some people between their brain and their heart, wherever their brain went. But... But you can't get saved just with the head knowledge. Okay, we understand that. So the third one is fiducia. A notitia, you have to hear. A census, they have to believe it. And fiducia, they have to accept it. Fiducia is that kind of faith that really accepts it, that applies it to the heart, that says, this is for me. This is why we call ourselves evangelicals. Because the evangel is the good news. Remember that word, evangel, 
EU plus angel. The evangel is the good news. And you have to accept that evangel personally. So, you know, in our, in our lifetime, in our generation, we've expressed that in rough ways, kind of like, are you a born-again believer? <laughs> you know, not just a believer, but are you a born-again believer? You know, um, well, we know that a person's not a believer without being born again. But what we're saying is not just, not just a head knowledge of Christianity, but have you, have you accepted Christ as your personal Savior? As a matter of fact, even when we say personal Savior, we're kind of emphasizing that because you can't have a Savior unless he's personal. But when we say personal Savior, we mean, have you accepted him? Oh, I'm in a church or my church. Well, no, have you accepted him? Well, I joined and I was, no, have you? And we keep pushing a person about where was it, when was it that you accepted Christ? So we understand that a person has to call. So verse 14 is the logical necessity of, of what happens here. Now, that leaves us with a huge problem because if that's true, a person has to hear, a person has to understand what he's hearing and 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 believe it in his head, and not only that, has to translate that and accept it in the heart, we've got how many people in the world right now? How many billion? Seven. And how many of them are true believers? Mm. We got a big problem, don't we? And every generation of Christians has had a big problem, and that is, are we just going to sit here with the good news and not care about the rest of the world, knowing that there's a heaven and a hell, or are we going to do something about that? And the doing something about it, of course, is evangelism. So secondly, I call this a practical necessity of evangelism in verses 15 and 16. How shall they preach except what? <laughs> they be sent. I can, sit a, I can stand here and talk about this, and I can talk about the necessity for missions and preaching the world and other people hearing, but if we don't put legs to it, we don't put feet to it, it just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen by goodwill and doesn't even happen by prayer, folks. I mean, it does in the sense, but if, but if our feet aren't put with those prayers, if there aren't missionaries that go with our prayers, they still aren't going to hear. In, in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, unsaved but religious because he's praying, and God hears his prayer, but he's not saved. And an angel comes and talks to him, but he's not saved. And, and uh, the angel, you know, he, he probably said, oh, good, an angel from God has come to tell me what I need to know. And the angel says, no, I can't tell you. A man has to tell you this. Oh, really? Why can't you? You're sent from God, you know. Wouldn't that be easy? Because it's not my job and I don't do it, basically. So you send someone down to Joppa because there's a man named Peter down there, and I'm giving him visions to kind of convince him that he ought to be able to talk to Gentiles. So you go down there and get, get a hold of Peter, and he will tell you what you need to hear. 
And the whole rigmarole of chapter 10 is people coming down and getting Peter and Peter and men going back up to Caesarea and they come in and Peter sees all these Gentiles in here and then he says, oh, now I know, Lord, why you told me rise, Peter, kill and eat and don't call unclean what I have called clean. So I've got to preach the gospel to Gentiles too. And so now Peter preaches and you have revival. People get saved. So it takes human beings, it, they, they must be sent. Uh, you know, even Isaiah uh, had to express back to God when, when God told him these very things, and he, and he says, who sh whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, well, here am I, send me. Somewhere we have to say, here am I, use me, Lord, next door, where I work or somebody I know. Or maybe if we have enough of our life left to do it, uh, young people will say, send me to the other side of the world or send me someplace that no one else would ever go. Okay, so they must be sent. Secondly, they must be prepared. So also <clears throat> verse uh, 15 ends by saying, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. You want me to take my shoes off and show you my beautiful feet? <laughs> they, well, they aren't so beautiful <laughs> as feet go, but anytime any of us are heralding the gospel, preaching is to herald it. The Karuks is the one who says, the British are coming, the British are coming. But we are saying the end is coming, the end is, the Lord is coming. You must be born again. You know, we're heralding the gospel, and when you do, you have beautiful feet. But what does that, what does the feet indicate? <laughs> you got to get up on your feet and go somewhere with them. Go to where they need it. Go with the gospel to some place. Paul's talking to the Ephesians about putting on the armor of God. And one of the things he has to say is, let your feet be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Preparation. I think it means, if you want to put that shoe on, it means get prepared always to tell the gospel. Know in your heart that if you were confronted with the situation, you could explain it. You could tell a person how to be saved. Maybe a lot of that explanation is your own testimony about what, how you got saved. Fine. That's always a strong uh, thing. You know some verses. You can quote those verses. Or you could take your New Testament and show somebody uh, how to be saved. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Then... As you're going in the world, wherever God puts that opportunity in front of you, your feet are shod. You're ready to go. As I've preached from that passage about the, the armor of God, I've said how, how tragic would it be for a Roman soldier to put on everything else, put on all the armor, the helmet, he's got the sword and everything else, and he goes out into that rocky uh, terrain and that part of the world to fight, and he's barefooted. You know, he's not, what's he going to do? He's going to walk around on the battlefield going, ouch, 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 ouch. He's not going to fight at all. And I think some Christians walk around in the world going, oh, 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 you know, I don't want to say, don't want to get in trouble. Your feet shod with the preparation. So they must be prepared, have beautiful feet, and 
and they must be faithful. So in verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel. We have to be faithful, and the hearer has to be faithful to it. We have to obey in the sense that we're going to go with it. They have to obey in the sense that they're going to receive it and believe it. So the practical necessity. So lastly, let me uh, say there's, I think, a spiritual necessity from verse 16 and 17. And the spiritual necessity is this, Lord, who hath believed our report? <clears throat> Again, spiritually, what we have said is this gospel has to be believed. So, you know, I know I've picked on our Catholic friends here, but it's proper in this kind of a lesson because we're trying to talk about evangelism. When, when the Great Commission is given, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, and then it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that the Catholic Church always interpreted that as go into all the world and baptize the world. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to them, and baptize them. So, Catholic evangelism from the Middle Ages, you know, why is South America Roman Catholic? Why are you and I as evangelicals sending missionaries to a continent that was evangelized by the Roman Catholic Church because they went into that continent and baptized them all. They've all, now for generations, their babies have been baptized into the Catholic Church and they're Catholic. And you can hardly win them because they performed this right and that's what the church said they had to do to get to heaven and so that's what they've been in the process of doing. But you and I have always accepted that as Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptize them, right? So you and I have this, have this obligation to, to be making disciples. So verse 16 says, Lord, who hath believed our report. There is a sense, the Bible uses the word obey of the gospel often. They have not all obeyed the gospel but we understand that's not meaning they did some work for their faith, but obedience to the faith is hearing it and believing it. So you had to do that. I mean, the, the time when you heard the gospel, whenever that was, I remember I was just an 11-year-old boy sitting, sitting in the back of a large church and the gospel was preached and they gave an invitation. I went forward. I obeyed, but I wasn't saved because the preacher said, come forward. I was saved because he preached the gospel of believing in Christ, and I knew I needed to do it, and somebody showed me how. That's all. I obeyed the gospel. So here he uses the word believe. So when in all of our evangelism and all of our missions, if we had some way that we could just go into a country and sign them up, you know, kind of put out the survey... <laughs> or something like that, that'd be easy. That'd be a good way to evangelize. That'd be an easy way to do it. And again, denominations and religions have done that in ways that are not wise. 
make them a member of your church or baptize them as infants or you know, do something to sign them up. No, we have to go and preach, and that isn't the end of it. They may not even like what we preach and not believe us, and we've spent tons of money and all this time and all of this effort to get to the other side of the world to tell somebody about the gospel, and then they say, well, I don't believe that. <laughs> but we, we have done our obligation and it is our obligation to go tell them. And it's the Holy Spirit's work in their heart that has to regenerate, right? You can't do that for them. They have to believe. So I'm saying the spiritual necessity for evangelism is there, there has to be belief of it, that fiducia to the ascensus. So there must be uh, that, but there must be also a report What's your report card? If you, if you go and don't explain the gospel, you get an F. <laughs> if you go with some other kind of report and it's not the report that comes from God, then you don't pass. Our report here, uh, by the way, you know what that means? It means that, uh, that you're a second-handed reporter. You're not going giving your your words. And that's, uh, you know, in the very next verse then, my, my second point about here is not only do you have to have a report, but that report has to be God's report, God's word. Faith comes by hearing then and hearing by your words? No, by the word of God. So you are just a uh, secondary means. You're just someone carrying God's report to people who haven't heard it and saying, have you heard this? Do you know this? Would you believe in this? And they say, don't force your religion upon me. And you say, it isn't mine, it's God's. <laughs> you know. And if you feel like it's forced upon you, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. And, and we wouldn't, as I said a little while ago, we wouldn't force it upon them at all because you can't. You can't, you can't force faith. So when you give the gospel to somebody and they respond by saying, well, I don't believe that, not, you have to take it as that. And I, I think there's a persuasion. Paul, you know, uh, Agrippa says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian, Paul. Well, somehow Paul was pretty persuasive, no doubt just in his knowledge and, uh, you know, effectual uh, preaching of the gospel. And we can be but not to the point where somebody does it against their will. That's the whole thing. You can't be so persuasive that they're doing something that is not their decision to do. You, you understand. So there's this spiritual necessity of doing it. You know, uh, John Getty was a 17th century, 1800s missionary to East Africa. We, we know of Livingston and so forth, but Getty was an early. And somebody said of him, when, when he landed... In East Africa, there were no Christians, and when he left, there were no heathen. Wouldn't you like to have that kind of fire about your evangelism and, and the Lord helping you that much with what you do? Somebody else said, a vision without a task makes a visionary. A task without a vision is drudgery. But a task or a vision with a task is a missionary. 
a vision with a task to go and tell someone. Uh, how can they hear except they be sent? How can they preach except they be sent? So that's our lesson on evangelism, the, our, our letter E in our alphabet series. And I uh, hope that it's encouraging to you. I hope that it's mostly old hat and old stuff. But boy, how often we need to hear this and be reminded of, don't we? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and we'll be dismissed until the next hour. Father, thank you for uh, your word and thank you for the clarity of it. Thank you, Father, that your word has stood throughout the ages uh, when other words have come and gone, when our own words will not avail, but yours do. And thank you for that. Thank you, Father, for your commission of us that we must go, that we must do this work. And so, Father, burden our hearts and help us to always have that burden as long as we're on this earth. Help us to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, that we might be ready, even today, if you would bring an opportunity before us. And, uh, Father, I pray that uh, through this church and all churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, souls might be saved, and there might be a great incoming of believers until Jesus comes. We'll thank you for these things and praise you always for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being in our class this morning.